Betty wasn't making sure you weren't playing another song. So. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. In our church, we've learned that there's nothing that we can do that is quite as effective at reaching people as simply equipping our members to carry the gospel to people outside of the church. It's not programs that reach people. It's not mailers that reach people. It's not sermons that reach people. It's people that reach people. And it is individual people um, having a relationship with one person that they're using that relational bridge to, to share the gospel with them and live the gospel out in front of them. That is the heart of the Great Commission. It's multiplying disciples, making multiplying disciples. So my one is uh, a guy that is one of my uh, high school daughter's teachers that we just really hit it off. He's not from the United States. Uh, he's new to Christianity, but he's just got a ton of questions. And in the last six months or so, he's accepted two of my invitations to come and I come to one of our church services. I invited him recently to, to begin reading the Gospel of John with me, which he, uh, he said I sat down to read the Gospel of John, just a chapter or two. He said by the time I, I got up from my chair, I read the entire thing, and he showed me he had these just pages and pages of, of notes and questions that he said I can't wait to discuss. He's agreed to start coming to church regularly now, so I'm praying that the day will soon come when I will see him express faith in Christ. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? That is J.D. Greer, our current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that what well, he, he gave a Who's Your One video testimony. I want to encourage you, you know, we made our commitments this morning. Who's your one? We prayed over them. I know a lot of folks are actually out, and we'll actually do that again next Sunday. Uh, and, and as you pray through one, your one will end up being two, three, and four, because you start God starts placing other folks in your heart. So... Uh, next week, you'll have the opportunity to also, uh, we'll, we'll do that as well. And we'll continue to pray over our names we've given to the Lord. But if you have a video, if you have a testimony you want to share these next few weeks, maybe it's someone you're praying for. You don't have to ever use their name, of course. You need to let me know. Chris Wright is a video pro, so he has offered that he can shoot a video just like that that you saw uh, there and make it a, a, a dark background and a dark chair of just a one, two-minute video of just you sharing your story about who you're praying for, or maybe you're starting to see a breakthrough of them starting to answer that prayer. I want to tell you about my one since um, uh, I'm not going to use his name, um, but uh, our children, Benjamin and Esther, have some friends and their parents. I, I've gotten to know their parents. They don't live far from us. The mother's a teacher, and the man's a fireman. These are just good folks. They love our city. They love their family. They're regular, normal Kentuckians. You would look at them and think, well, this is a good family. They have two children. They've been married probably 15, 20 years. And you look at them, a fireman, teacher, just good folks. But there's something missing in their life. They do not attend church, period. We've invited them. They're polite about it. I mean, they're, they're just, uh, you know, that's very kind. We'll think about it. That's the type of answer. Very thoughtful. They want to play with the, They want their children to play with our children. And I want to tell you, their story is multiplied all over our state. Just good folks. They love our country. They love family. They're just regular 
regular Americans that do not have the Lord. And that's my, the dad's my one. And I'm praying for him. And it's, uh, and, it, and any type of breakthrough would be positive. And that's what it means to find your one. That one person, that someone who does not know Jesus that you can start praying for. So you be thinking about that. If you want to give a testimony, you let myself or Chris know, and he'll shoot a video of you and make it. And that way, you know, it's hard to get somebody stamp here and give a testimony. But if somebody's willing to give a one, two-minute testimony and put on the screen, next Sunday we can play it. Even the folks, someone you're playing for. Open your Bibles, book of Luke, Luke chapter 22. We're going to read here, starting in verse 24. We're going to look here at a passage, and you may make sure you have a bulletin. Uh, pull out your bulletin, sir. You want to make sure you have this, because I want to reference it, because um, there's a picture on here later on you're going to see. You have time to slip back, go to the Welcome Center, and grab your bulletin if you don't have it. That way you can follow along here when we get to this part here of Peter being sifted. And what that means is we're going to look at that, uh, look at the little picture there, and see what it means to be sifted. And we're going to talk about what that means today. Sifted is a shakedown. That means literally that all of a sudden, Satan takes you and shakes your life to get you to fail your faith, to get you to give up on God, to get you to just quit and say, I'm tired of this. I want to tell you, if Peter and the disciples were going to be sifted, we certainly know we as believers today will be sifted too. And sifting is something that happens to folks and it's a reality that really just knocks a lot of people far from God. And it's, it's literally a shakedown. So we're going to talk about that. But open your Bibles here. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. This here is picking up on the hills of the Lord's Supper, the very first Lord's Supper we see. We're going through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday nights. And it says in verse 24, Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered to be the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who have authority uh, over them, and have authorities themselves called benefactors. It is not like to be it is not like to be that among you. On the contrary, whoever is great among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads should be like the one serving. So what Jesus just said is, when you're a king of, and you're a lord over something, you rule or you lord over people, meaning you go tell them what to do. And if they don't do it, you kill them. There is great, you imprison them. There's consequences. And that's typical leadership 2,000 years ago. I'm in charge. I'm the king. You do what I say. If you don't obey me, you die. That's pretty much how Caesar ruled. That's how the Gentiles here ruled. That's how it was. And it still is in some countries even today. It's ruling with an iron fist. And you don't serve people, other people serve you. That's the mentality we see here. And then look what Jesus is he's saying here. He's saying you're going to be different. The way you lead, the way you serve, the way you rule over folks is you serve them. Verse 27. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? For I among you and the one who serves. Meaning they just had the Lord's Supper. And here's Jesus saying, guys, we don't need to think about where people sit during the service. We need to think, am I here serving others? <clears throat> if you are sitting towards the back, we have a Juana Grand Prix. These double doors, I bet if we close these doors here, 
we won't hear <laughs> the racing going on. I can literally hear the races of how it goes on right now. That's going on directly below us, and we certainly are aware of that. Verse 28, you are those who stood by me in my trials. Do you know what Jesus is saying right there? He's saying, guys, I want you to know something. You're sitting here uh, bragging and wanting these awards because you're so excited, so happy that you stood by my, my trials. But your reward, it's not going to be here on earth. You're to live a life of serving other folks. You stood by Jesus during his trials. And the trials are Jesus, him ne nearly being arrested at this point, him being persecuted, him just being mocked. And he's saying, you stood by me. I bestowed you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus just told his disciples, guys, you don't need to be like the Gentile people who basically want to be in charge. You go out and you serve others. You live a life of other-centeredness. Live a life of investing in other folks. And in heaven, in eternity, I will put you over other people. I will give you the kingdom of God. I will lift you up. This is what we call in the Bible servant leadership. You lead others by serving them. Servant leadership is instead of coming and saying, what are you going to do for me? It's an attitude, how can I serve you? How can I make your life better? <clears throat> I want to give you an illustration. And I thought about t telling this Sunday morning, but Sherry might have been embarrassed, but she's downstairs. But this past week, my, or like on Tuesday, our car battery died. We're the type of folks, we have, all our cars are paid off. And when we get a car, we drive it till the wheels fall off because it's paid for. And I don't want a car payment. Nobody wants a car payment. All, my own payments on cars are gas, insurance, and tires, and oil. And that's it. Like, that's the bare minimum to keep a car alive. And you just drive it till it literally falls apart. Well, we're about, about, uh, about at both those stages for both our cars. In fact, one's already died. And, um, well, this past week, the battery went out, or I thought, on one of the cars. And um, then I went to, got a new battery, and it worked for about three days. Well, on Friday, I was driving the children's school. <clears throat> and, have you, and maybe this has happened to you. You're driving down the road and your car dies. I don't mean just dies. I don't mean like clunks along and fall, you have to go off the side. I mean dies. Like complete dead. Um, it's just, I mean, nothing works. Even, you know, the little emergency button you push with the flash of lights, you push that, it doesn't work. Like nothing works. The next way to move the car is push the car. So we're at a stop sign going to school on Boston, turn on to Monticello, and Sherry is at work, I'm taking kids to school, and um, we're not moving. <laughs> In fact, we're sitting there. So I got out of the car and started pushing it off the side of the road, and this is an example of servant leadership. The person behind me, because I wasn't moving, they realized if they wanted to go forward, they're going to have to help me move my car to the side of the road. So this lady gets out, and she's pushing on one side, and I'm pushing others. And then 
I pulled it over on Monticello, and now we're walking to school. So we're walking to school with the children at this point, because we don't live far from Wellington. And um, we were turned on Post Road, and this man pulls up in an SUV. And I don't know who the man is from Adam. And he pulls up and says, hey, I saw your car broke down. I see you're walking. Do you need a ride to school? Or, or a ride to school? But we were almost there, and I had kids, and they didn't have car seats. So I said, we were, we were almost there. So I said, yeah, you can bring me home. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'll drop the kids off because at this point we're late. I had to go sign them in. And um, I did that. And then he had pulled up, and he waited to pick, pick me up. So he picked me up and brought me back home. And, you know, in the course of that conversation, you know, um, great opportunity to talk with him. He saw me, apparently. I didn't see him. I mean, we were very obvious because we're walking now to school. That man had to see me walking to school with three children turned around, because he had already taken his children to school, turned around, pulled back, offered a ride. By this point, we were almost at the school. I said, hey, let me, I've got to get there anyway to sign him in. But met me at the school, picked me up, and brought me back home. Now, that wasn't on his way whatsoever. I don't know that man's name. I don't know anything about him. He never had an agenda. He didn't say, you owe me $5 or let me give you a fee or anything like that. That, I was grateful for that man because otherwise I'd be walking home from after, her, uh, after school. Now, that is an example of someone serving someone else. Now, I want you to know, I was incredibly appreciative. I don't know if that man was a believer but I want to tell you, if that man on the ride home would have told me about Jesus, you know what I would have done? I would have listened. Do you know why I want to listen? Because that man stopped and took time to serve me on Friday morning at 7.45 a.m. He invested whatever, him not going to work, saying, hey, this poor man needs help, and he helped. Whatever that guy would have said in the car, I would have more than willingly listened to him. Listen, Broadway Baptist. We have opportunities around that all the time. You look for a need, and listen, you meet that need, and I promise that person will listen to you because you're helping them. Whatever that man would have said in the car, I would have listened to him because he's genuinely helping me. Jesus told us to do that. In verse 27, for I am among you and the one who serves. Jesus serves, therefore we serve other people. One of the best ways of getting a gospel opportunity, a gospel conversation, is you go help somebody, you go meet any type of need, and I promise they'll listen to you. Whether that's food, whether their car broke down, whether they're hurting, they're in the hospital, they need prayers. When people are desperate, they're looking for a ride. When people are desperate, they're looking for prayers. When people are hurting, they're looking for hope. Many of us say, well, I don't have any opportunities. Opportunities are everywhere. Use your gifts you have to help other folks. Become a servant leader. Look at verse 31 right here. Simon, Simon. Look out. 
Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And we're going to talk about this Bible verse. This is what your bulletin insert has to do with. This is an important Bible verse because I think this is what knocks people out today. Let's go over this again. Simon, Simon. Who's Simon? Simon is Peter. Jesus is saying, you need to look out. It's a warning there. Because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, if you look at the little picture here in your bulletin insert, sifting wheat, what you do is you have your grain and you put it inside this sifter. Now, this is old-timey agriculture. And you shake it. And what happens, the chaff, it just blows away in the wind. Or it goes away somewhere else. And the grain has weight to it. And it falls to the ground. Or in the sifter, it, it catches in the sifter. You're getting rid of the, of, the, of the chaff from the wheat, the grain, what's edible. So you have to get rid of the useless stuff. And Jesus described that as burning it up. You burn the chaff. You have no use for it. It has no purpose on earth. If you want bread, you need grain. So now they have combines that obviously do this. They do it all. and that, There's your bread right there. It just pops right out the grain. But in Bible times, you use the sifter. It's a shakedown. That's what it is. You get it all over you. It's a messy job. Has anyone here ever used an old-timey sifter to sift wheat? Okay. <clears throat> When our church was founded in 1952, I'm sure some preacher would have asked that question and someone would have raised their hand. Because in old days, that's what they used to do. They used um, a, a sifter there. Uh, that's what we call threshing, uh, when you thresh the wheat. Uh, now, you know, obviously, it's done by machine. I share this because Satan is asking, apparently, Jesus, Hey, I want to I I sift Peter. I want to give him a shakedown. And I want to see what is he really made of. Now, this really poses some unusual questions here. Because, first of all, the devil's asking Jesus permission if he can basically go after Peter. Saying, I don't think this guy is his character, who he is, he's really able to withstand it. A shakedown. Do you know what a shakedown is? A shakedown is when you think, you know, I'm... I'm doing pretty good. And next thing you do, you've lost your job. You lose your family. Your car breaks down. Everything in your life, what you thought, you lose your money, lose your retirement, you lose it all. You lose your health. What you thought was so stable, what you thought was good, is gone. And that's what's happening right here. Peter felt his stability was in Jesus Christ. Peter, remember, Peter's a prideful man. Peter's probably somewhat cocky and arrogant. So he's the leader of the disciples. Now we've had the Lord's Supper here. Peter's right there. They're going to Jerusalem. Peter in his mind's thinking, I'm going to be second in charge to King Jesus. And at such a high point, Satan is attacking Jesus. Or, or attacking Peter. Now, if, if Peter's going to get sifted, we're going to get sifted. You have family members who have sifted. A lot of the folks here in our, our bin right here have been sifted like wheat, and they didn't make it. They, they, they got knocked out of commission. Being sifted here, this is when we're sifted. Satan wants to damage your faith to the point that you're useless to God. Someone with a damaged faith. Someone that throws in the towel and says, I deny this man. I don't interested in church anymore. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm doing my own thing. That is what it means to be sifted. 
There's all these folks in this city have been. Sifting is a time of intense um, temptation. It's a time of intense maybe persecution. It's just tough times. And you're in a difficult season in your life. One of the best stories. Now, we don't have time to turn there. There's somebody in the Old Testament who is sifted. And that's Job. If you read Job chapter 1 and 2, Satan appeared before God. And God said, have you seen my servant Job? Job lost everything. Job lost his family, his children, his belongings, his home, gone. Then Job became the sickest man ever to live. To the Bible says, to the bottom of his feet, to the top of the said, he had painful sores, intense pain. So he could take a, a piece of pottery and just cut himself and doesn't even, doesn't even affect him. No relief whatsoever. Because God said you can't take his life. You can inflict him with painful sores, but do not take his life. What happened in these, both these examples? Notice God has total authority over the devil. God is giving permission to Satan to sift Job and to sift Peter. And what happened in Job's case, what occurred there in Job chapter 2, the Bible says that in everything that happened to Job, Job did not sin. No matter how bad it got, Job didn't quit going to church. Job didn't throw in the towel. Job never cursed God. Even his wife turned against him. All of us are going to get the shakedown. We're going to go through this. There will be whatever, whatever it is for us. There will be tough times. There will be incredibly dark seasons. And God is looking for people who's going to be able to go through and end up like the grain. We don't just blow away like the chaff, like an unchurched lost person. Back in your Bible here, verse 32. Look what Jesus says about Peter. Now this is powerful because we know if Jesus is praying for Peter, church, he's praying for us. Look at this. But I have prayed for you i have prayed for you we're praying for these people right here we put in our who's your one been jesus prayed for peter do you pray for other people do you pray for people and you say what well, do i pray for their people look what he says here that your faith may not fail jesus prayed for Peter's faith. He says, Peter, I know you're going to struggle. You're about to get hit. Tough times are coming. You're entering a new season because Jesus knew he was about to be arrested. He was going to be gone. Do you know any type of change in our life, whether we move to a new city, whether we have changed jobs, you change churches, that's a time, if you're not careful, when you change seasons, whether you, you've become a widow, whether you've lost your mother, what you've gone through, whether you've had a, a, your child has moved off to college and now they've got, become rebellious, when there's been a season of change in your life, that's a dangerous point. And the reason why is because all of a sudden, your faith that was so rock solid, that was so steady, all of a sudden, there's been a change and it could fail. And what that failure means is all of a sudden you just 
you quit. Say, I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of church. I'm tired of reading my Bible. I'm, I'm just, I'm exhausted. And that is what he prayed. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. And he said, look this. Now, this is what's crazy about it. Jesus knew the future, so he knew it was going to fail. And you, when you have turned back, what did they mean turn back? Because Jesus knew his faith would fail. How does your faith fail? Your faith fails when you deny Jesus three times. Well, your faith fails when you lie about knowing the Lord. Your faith fails when you deny knowing Jesus. How does our faith fail? Our faith fails when, just like from this morning, when we claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, and our lifestyle does not match up with it at all. We're portraying one image, yet our actions portray something else. That's how Jesus went over and over again about that. That's called hypocrisy. And when you have turned back, meaning when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. So now he's already telling him what to do when he returns back to the Lord. Verse 33. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. So here is the arrogant Peter right here. Peter's ready to go to jail, and he's ready to die for Jesus. And look what Jesus says. I tell you, Peter... The rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times. Three times. The morning starts out with Jesus telling, Peter telling Jesus how bold he is in his faith. By the end of that day, Peter will be a completely different man. Peter will be broken. This is an example of a shakedown. And we're going to see when we come to it how the shakedown occurred for Jesus. Keep going in your Bibles here. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. Now, Jesus is about to warn us here about uh, how in the good days, we didn't need a money and a sword, but now we need a money bag and a sword. Jesus told him, verse 35, When I sent you out without money bags travel, or a traveling bag or sandals, did you like anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, But now, whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. That's out of Isaiah 53 there. Yes, what is written about me is coming to fulfillment. Lord, they said, here are two swords. It's amazing. Apparently the disciples had secret swords on them. That is enough, he told them. Now what Jesus just told. He says, in the good days, I was just able to send you all out with nothing. No sword, no money, no traveling back. You just go out and sending the 72, and tell folks about, about me and watch me work. But there's going to be a time coming where you're not going to have that protection anymore. In fact, people are going to hate you because you're a follower of me. And you're going to need a traveling bag. You're going to need a sword. And you're going to need money. You're going to need resources. Jesus is reminding his disciples that based on Isaiah 53, 12, that Jesus was counted among the lawless, meaning... Not everybody's going to like Jesus. You will be persecuted. You will meet tough times for following the Lord. What those tough times mean is, um, I think today, it will be, uh, Christians can become marginalized. You can be mocked. It'll just, you can be seen as a looney tune. Uh, Folks might not uh, invite you to places, might not want to be your friend. Even when you start praying for people to get saved, 
they find out about that, they, have, they don't understand. Saved from what? What would you get saved from? I'm having a great time in my life. That's the attitude lost people have. Why would they want to repent and turn to the Lord? Jesus is saying, times are going to change. You're going to experience rejection, and you need to be prepared to take care of yourself. That's the message that Jesus is conveying right here, of preparation for caring for yourself. Keep going here. Look at the prayer in this garden. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. He went out and made his usual, verse 39, his usual uh, way there at Mount of Oz, right outside Jerusalem. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. So what's Jesus turning to right here? He's turning to prayer. He's saying, guys, you need to be, you need to be spending time in prayer that you will not fall into this temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, the cup there he's talking about is this cup of suffering that he's about to pour out his life for everyone. That analogy being used is exactly the same what we see the Lord's Supper cup, his blood. The cup that represents Jesus' blood about to be poured out. Jesus is wrestling because he knows he's one day away from dying for the sins of the world. And what's about to happen? All of our sin, Jesus is about to take on the cross. And he's going to be found guilty for our sin. And he knows it's coming. And he's asking. He's saying, God, I don't really want to go through this, but I also want your will, not my will. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so you won't fall into temptation. How sad would it be? Jesus realizes, I mean, Judas and the, and the folks, they're headed this way. He knows it. They're coming to arrest him. This is it for Jesus. And his disciples, are, they're sleeping. And Jesus, does, he, he told them not to, but they can't make it. And he's asking that question over and over again. He kept saying, fall into temptation. What that means, to fall into temptation, he's saying, guys, you need to have a devout prayer life because when the shakedown comes to you, when you get hit, you will be tempted to run away. During the Gospel of Mark, it said all the disciples ran away. They deserted Jesus. Because they never could imagine Jesus would this quickly be crucified and found himself arrested. Look what happens in this garden in verse 47. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came. A mob there is people carrying clubs and torches. They came, and one of the twelve named Judas, was leading them. Now this is important. Why did they come at night? Remember, Jesus had a following. Jesus had a lot of folks who were hoping he'd become the next king. They admired his teaching. So, you know, Bible times, they didn't have lights around the city. There weren't um, electricity, so you didn't have street lights. When it was dark, it was dark. The only way you could see was with a torch. So unless it was really a really good moonlit day, you did not know what else was going on in the rest of the city. 
I mean, once it was dark, you went to bed. Unless you ha- just hung out there in the house. You didn't really go out a lot at night because you just couldn't see. You took advantage of every inch of daylight. So what's happening here, Judas obviously coming at night. And he comes near, it says in verse 47, and he kisses Je- Jesus. That was a greeting. Now, you say, why would he kiss him? Why wouldn't the mob, why wouldn't these people just go up? Remember how the men dressed. <clears throat> um, do you ever see somebody wear a hoodie? Like, you know, when they put the hood over them. Well, if it's nighttime and you had about 11 guys with hoodies and it's dark and you're holding a torch and you didn't have a flashlight and there weren't any street lights and there weren't iPhone lights light up and everybody's got like a hoodie over their head and, you know, they're sort of dressed up. You really just couldn't stand 20 feet away thinking, oh, there's Jesus right there. I can pick him out in the line. You wouldn't really know who's who. So Judas is saying at nighttime, I'm going to go up to Jesus because I know who he is. I know where he stays. I know where he's sleeping at. The general area this man stays. And I'll kiss the man. That's a form of greeting from 2,000 years ago in Bible times. And that's the signal that this is the man you need to arrest. Judas is getting 30 silver coins in doing this. So that's why he's kissing him. It helps these other guys identify the right man who they're going to arrest. So he goes up, and Jesus says to Judas in verse 48, Judas, you're betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. When those around him saw what was going to happen, so obviously now they're moving in to arrest Jesus. Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now this we know from the other gospel accounts was Peter who pulled out his sword. So we know they had two swords. We know the high priest's servant, his name was Malchus. That's based on John chapter 18's account of this. He tells us his name is Malchus. Now look what Jesus says. So he just lost his ear. So apparently Jesus pulled, or Peter pulled out a sword and swung it to protect Jesus. Apparently the guy must have ducked and got his ear. And his ear fell on the ground. Then uh, Jesus said here in verse 51, No more of this. And touching his ear. This is what's incredible during Jesus' arrest. While Jesus is getting arrested for being, a, for being the Son of God and for being the Messiah, Jesus, look at this, he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now what I love about this story is, think about this, of all the people who were probably wondering, is Jesus the Son of God? I promise you, the man named Malchus during this arrest who got his ear put back on and healed, he knew this man. Jesus performed a miracle while he was being arrested. The very man arresting Jesus, Jesus was healing him. Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police and the elders who come for him, notice the religious people are registering, have you come out here with swords and clubs if I was a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me, but this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. Meaning, if you wanted me, why on earth did you not arrest me while I was right there in Jerusalem at the temple in front of everybody? Here we are outside the city, out in the woods, basically, half asleep in the middle of the night, and we've got a, ban- a mob coming out here to arrest me. Because Jesus understood that this had to be done 
away from the crowds. Sin breeds in darkness. When you're scheming evil and bad things, you don't do it in broad daylight. When you want to commit adultery, when you want to look at pornography, when you want to take advantage of someone, what do you do? You do it at night. You strike when there's few people around. And that is what's going on here. Jesus is saying, this is your hour of darkness, the domain of darkness. Here we are nighttime, and you're coming to get me. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. So what happened is they are in a man's house named Annas. And this would be um, a, a relative of Caiaphas. And this is not far right outside Jerusalem. So they're bringing him to a... Um, you to understand this would be like put it in political terms you go out and you arrest a bunch of republicans and you think we want to get rid of these republicans and the democrats arrested them so we need to go find us a judge who's going to um rule in our favor so we go find the most democratic judge around that would be just like us and we go put them in his court courtroom right there and say Look, we found these Republicans. We found these people, and they're criminals. And you see, this is not a fair trial. We're going to see someone who doesn't even like Jesus to begin with. So that's what's happening here. But this is the, one of the main points we're going to see. This is the denial that Jesus is going to, or that Peter's going to break. Notice Peter has followed behind. All of a sudden, the man he loved and wanted so much is now in chains. And we're going to the high priest's house. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him and said, This man was with them too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Right there. Number one, a servant. He's denying his Savior. The, this is the man who said he would never do this. He's ready to die for Jesus and be put in prison. Now he's denying it to a female servant. After a little while, <coughs> someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I'm not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him, since he's also a Galilean. So you know what that means? He had an accent. Jesus was from northern Israel. Peter's from northern Israel. These people are from Galilee. He's one of them. Now look at this. Verse 60. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And look what he did. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter realized his cockiness and his arrogance. Jesus had told him, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. 
And P- Peter's offering says, I'm ready to go and die and go, be to pr- go to prison for you. And it happened. Apparently, Jesus was at Annas' house for several hours. And all three times, when Peter was confronted on being a follower of Jesus, he said no. And these people he's conf- being confronted to are the least influential. I mean, these are servant girls that he's embarrassed to follow Jesus. Now, the principle for this, this is Jesus. This is Peter's shakedown and his sifting. He had to go through this. Pro- he had to go through this so that we ultimately emerge a stronger man. Because one of the things what happens when Jesus is resurrected, if you remember on the shore there, when they had their fish, Peter, Peter is out on the boat fishing and Jesus is right there on the shore. And they catch a bunch of fish, and then it's not about the fish and the breakfast. It's about when Jesus restores three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than thee? He had denied him three times, and now Jesus had to restore Peter three times. That is what we call a rededication. That is what we see a spiritual renewal in his life. Even when someone doesn't pass the shakedown, even when their faith fails, we as believers can rededicate our life to the Lord and Christ forgives us and picks Peter back up. And when the book of Acts starts, we see a brand new, powerful Peter, a Peter at Pentecost who's boldly proclaiming the message of the Lord. And for us, I think what happens, it's easy for us to forget. And this is what I want to end on. Guys, if it can happen to Peter... If Peter's faith can fail, your faith can fail. If Peter can fall away from following Jesus, you and I can fall away from following Jesus. If Peter can find himself denying being, when I say denying, just kind of being embarrassed. I'm embarrassed of this man. I don't want to be a Bible-believing Christian. That's not popular today. If it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you and I. And we have to, and Jesus gives us the solution. He tells us, you, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested, he's telling his disciples, guys, you need to be praying that you will not fall into temptation. Don't find yourself a useless, uh, wounded, someone who was once a devout believer for the Lord, and now you're on the sidelines. That doesn't need to be you. And I want to share, when you know someone, when you know someone that's maybe out of church or maybe they're, they've just gotten involved in sin and they find themselves on the sidelines, and they may even be professing Christians and they're, they're not where they need to be, tell them this story of Peter. Peter's faith failed, yet Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, he restored Peter's faith. That's a rededication. He went through the shakedown. He got sifted like wheat, as Jesus said. And he, Peter didn't pass, but Jesus picked up the pieces. That is the great gospel we have. Our message tonight is this. We need to have a prayer life that we pray. Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer that we pray we do not fall into temptation. Because if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to any, any single one of us. And I want to share, remember, the way Satan attacks is it's in the least 
least likely scenarios. Peter could have never imagined he was standing outside of Annas' house, the high priest, right there in Jerusalem, and a young servant girl is asking him about being a follower of Jesus, and he's denying. He's lying. I never knew the man. He was embarrassed to be a follower of Jesus. It was very unlikely. It wasn't what he expected. And this is the man who, a few verses earlier, was ready to die for Jesus. Our prayer for us as believers and for our church is, Lord, when the shakedown occurs, we want to fall like grain. We don't want to be the chaff that just blows away. But, Lord, I know if I'm not rooted in being prepared for temptation, being prepared for that conversation, being prepared for that being confronted, I will too fall. Jesus, I pray tonight that we see how Peter was sifted and we also will be sifted. I pray that we will be believers, that we will fall as grain falls and not as a chaff. I pray also that if we do fall, or we know folks who have fallen or their faith has failed them, that we will be diligent and bold in asking for a restoration. Lord, restore our souls if we have fallen away from you. Lord, set our feet anew. Lord, do a new thing in our life. Lord, give us a passion and a prayer life that we pray that our faith will not fail and we will not fall into temptation. We experience victory in our prayer life on our knees. We experience victory. Jesus, your prayer closet was the Garden of Gethsemane there at the Mount of Olives. Our prayer closet might be in our living room or our kitchen. Lord, help us have our garden. Give us a place regularly that we cry out and fall to you. Lord, during this invitation, if there's anyone who needs to respond, I pray that we have the boldness and courage to respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. We always close our worship service with a time to respond to the gospel. Let's stand together and sing. Chris is going to lead us in a song. As always, I'll be standing down front to, to respond.